Great to be with you again. And welcome all you guys down here. I'm so glad to see you've got notebooks. That implies you're going to write something in them. So I know you're good at drawing, but your pen broke. Oh my Lord, boy needs another pen. As I go along, I'll try and remember to give you some key words to write down, okay? Because then you're going to be talking about them in subsequent weeks. Because there's nothing worse than having to sit listening to an old guy talk all morning and then afterwards thinking, what on earth was that all about? So I will try and help you with some key words as we go forward. God's good, isn't he? God is so good to us. I don't know whether I explained to you last time when I was here or not, but I've got four children and um, eight grandchildren now, so I'm a blessed man. But the four kids, you know, when they're growing up, we would send them off to school and to church and do all the stuff. And it never used to cease to amaze me how when they came back out of school or out of kids' church or whatever, you'd say, what have you done today, kids? And they'd say, nothing. Say, no, you, we dropped you off at 9, we picked you up at 3.30, you've been doing something. What, what have you learned? Mm, nothing. Boys in particular, I have to say. The girls were a lot better. Boys, so you, you learn early on as a parent, just because a child is in a class all day, it doesn't necessarily mean they're learning anything. It's true, isn't it? You know, a class is a learning environment with stimulus and great teaching and all that stuff. And your prayer is, oh God, help my kid to learn something today. But I think it's also a bit like that in church. We can come to church and be here and afterwards you can disappear off and your mates can say, what happened in church today? And you can say, hmm, nothing. Well, stuff did happen. We did worship. We did pray. We did give. We did listen to a talk. We did meet people. We did drink coffee. The point is, does any of it register? Has any of it contributed to the journey? Has it given us a, a seed thought? Has it inspired us? Has it refreshed us? Have we come out better than when we came in? Because church is also a learning environment. And just because you're in it does not mean you're going to learn anything or grow. You can be in a great work environment, a great business. But just because you work for the company doesn't mean you're going to grow in it. I believe God has a way of placing us in learning environments. Family, business, church, school, uni. And we can come away with nothing unless we actually engage with the learning process. Now, I want to help you understand something today. The future of your personal growth, and therefore the future of this church, because this church will only be as big and as strong as you guys, is all related to how far you will engage and interact with the learning environments God's got you in. A church is one of them, family is one of them, Family, home, business. But ultimately, you have to have an attitude that says, I'm going to put myself in. And when you do, you get something out that you all really want. I want to help you this morning get something you all really want. But you're not going to get unless you have the attitude that I want us to talk a little bit about this morning. You know, I, I even got <coughs> so far as to thinking, what about those disciples with Jesus? We sometimes think, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been with Jesus? To have been by the shore when he preached. To have seen him multiply the bread. Woo! To have been there when he raised the person from the dead and all that. Just because the disciples were with Jesus, did it mean they learned anything? Did it mean they grew? Did it mean they changed? Well, there's enough variety in just those 12 for us to learn that no, they didn't all learn and they didn't all grow and they didn't all change in the way that God had hoped they would. Because personal growth 
is strongly linked to how far I will put myself in to that learning environment. And as they put themselves into developing their understanding of who Jesus was and relating to him more strongly, they grew at different speeds and at different rates. And I want to use one of them as, a, as a, just an example this morning to help you catch a certain spirit, which if you catch it, I believe will get you this thing that I'm saying you all want. And the guy I want to concentrate on is the big mouth Peter. <laughs> Those of you that know the 12 disciples or know a little bit about them will know Peter was the mouthy one. He's the one that would open his mouth and put his foot in it. He spoke sometimes without engaging his brain. <clears throat> We've all done that sometimes, haven't we? Um, but he had a certain attitude that I think was, is really great in this context. So let's just read a few verses to set a context of a landmark day in the life of Peter. So Luke chapter 5, we'll start at verse 1. He says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sought the water's edge two boats, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Understand Simon is Peter, Simon Peter. Back in those days, they all had two names. They had a Hebrew name and a Greek name. That's why it's you know, John Mark, Simon Peter. It can be a bit confusing, but it's the same guy. Simon. <clears throat> he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. And Simon said, but master, we worked hard all night, haven't caught a thing, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. So off he goes. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. That's some weight of fish, isn't it? There's something going on here. It's like, whoa. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He, he, he realized there's something really special about this guy, Jesus. He's clearly something that I am not. I am not worthy. Go away from me, Lord, he says. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. It's like, I'm going to give you a new job description. Yeah, you've had this mega catch today, but actually, this is nothing compared to what's coming. You're going to fish for people. So, it says, they pulled their boats upon the shore, left everything, and followed him. What an incredible day in the life of Peter. I mean, when he got up that morning, I don't think he was expecting that to happen. But he had a, an, an understanding, a meeting with Jesus that changed his life that day. If we read back in John's Gospel, we discover that Jesus had already met Peter. <clears throat> and the first time he met him, he knew his name. He said to him, ah, you're Peter. And Peter's like, whoa, who's the guy that knows my name? And no doubt he'd been watching Jesus from afar. And there was talk amongst the group, that maybe he was the Messiah. You know, maybe he is this Christ figure. Mm, maybe, maybe not. And they're sassing him out and listening to him teach. And this day he gets into Peter's boat, does the thing with the fish as a little bit of a thank you for the use of his boat or something. It's so astounding, Peter gets this absolute understanding, <coughs> flipping heck, I am just a speck of sinful humanity. You're awesome. Falls to his knees. By the end of the day, Jesus has said, don't worry, no more fishing. You're going to catch people. Follow me. And Peter is so determined to not lose sight of this guy, Jesus, that he pulls everything up on the shore, leaves it behind, and follows him. I would suggest many of us in this room have had a day like that. 
It might not have happened in just the same way, but there was a day when you, in effect, parked your old life up on the beach because you'd got an understanding of how awesome Jesus was. And you decided, I'm going to follow you. Some of you may have even physically fallen to your knees like Peter did and said, God, I'm not worthy. And Jesus said to you, don't worry, daughter. Don't worry, son. Come on. From now on, you've got a new commission in life. And you're not just a mom. You're not just a dad. You're not just a businessman anymore. You're not just a school teacher anymore. No, you're going to help me catch fish, catch people. We've got a fresh commission. We're going to do this together. So park some of that stuff up on the beach and come on, let's, let's go on a journey together. Jesus moved on and they followed him. And what I love is this. From that moment, Peter put himself into the environment of being with Jesus like nobody else. He... He engaged with Jesus. Do you remember when um, there was an occasion when Jesus cursed a fig tree? (coughs) They're wandering around, you know, just following Jesus. And they're heading towards the city for the night. And as they go there, they're all a bit peckish. Jesus goes to a fig tree to look for fruit. There's none on it. So he curses the fig tree. They move on, they go into the town, they spend the night, they get up next morning, and then the next morning they're leaving the town. As they're leaving the town, (coughs) in Mark chapter 11, Peter says, it says of him, as they went along and saw the fig tree withered from the roots, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, hey Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. He was observant. See, he didn't just sort of, he wasn't part of the group that just sort of followed Jesus around. No, he had his eyes open. He was observant. If you're going to fully engage with Jesus in the journey he's got you on, you have to have your eyes open. You could write that down, boys and girls. Have your eyes open. Be observant. Peter was observant. Now, when you come to church, how observant are we? Have you got your eyes open? Are you open, not just physically, but spiritually? What is God doing today? Did, you, did, did your eyes and your ears pick up the list of people on those prayer requests? Some of the names you knew. Some of the, some of the circumstances, you don't know the names, but you thought, ouch, I feel their pain. Allow that to get on you, to move you to pray, to keep those people before God. Be observant. God's doing something. Maybe when Dave said something in, in the offering speak about not being a squatter but, or a lodger but being an owner, you thought, ka-ching, yeah, I see that. I've never really seen that before. You engaged, you observed, you got something from our time together which is going to help you in your journey. You're observing. Maybe you observe that someone's not here that was here last week and think, oh, I wonder where she is. And God is saying to you, ring them, ring them, ring them, ring them. Pop in on them, pop in on them. Be observant. Because the more we observe, (coughs) the more we have opportunity to grow, to change, to move forward. So Peter was like that. Probably Peter is best known for being the guy that asked the questions. He asks question after question. I went through the whole of the the Gospels just looking at which of the disciples were proactive some time ago. And what I discovered was Peter was the kid in the class that always asked the questions. You know, you need one, don't you, that will always stick the hand up and go, but why? (laughs) But I I don't understand that. Can you just, no, I don't agree with that. You need a kid like that in a class who will ask the questions. That's worth writing down. Ask questions. Ask questions. You'll learn more by asking questions. In Matthew 15, Jesus tells a parable about how what makes us unclean is not what we put in our mouths. It's what comes out of our mouths. And the disciples listen to this. And Peter at the end says, Jesus, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Explain this to us. 
He just pressed for a bit more information. How often do people say things and you think, hmm, hmm. No, press. If you ask the questions, you get more information. In Luke 12, Jesus told a parable about being watchful. And by this point, Peter's worked out. These parables are interesting, but they're not, they're not always necessarily for everybody. So after he's told the parable, he says, Jesus, uh, a question, please. Is this parable for us or for everybody? You see, he wants to be sure. If it's for him, he doesn't miss it. If it's specifically for them as the disciples. You remember when Jesus talked about forgiveness? Lovely sermon. Vicar. You know, it's like, awesome. Got to forgive your brother. And Peter thinks, yeah, this is awesome. Okay, question Jesus. Um, I want to get this right because I want to follow you with all my heart. So how many times should I forgive my brother? Maybe, hmm, think of a good holy number. Maybe seven times. So he asked the question, <coughs> now some of you know the answer. Jesus comes back and says, oh, good try, Pete. Let's, let's try 70 times seven, shall we? In other words, always have a forgiving heart. And then Jesus is able to teach a little bit more on the subject. You see, when you ask a question, you get more out of the teacher. You get more out of the environment that God's got you in. He presses, he presses. Same happens again with the rich young ruler, who was a guy who came to Jesus and he wanted to justify himself. He said, Jesus, I just want to know that I've kept enough rules to make sure I get to heaven. And Jesus kind of like, hmm, okay. Well, how about this one? Go away and sell your stuff and give it to the poor. <clears throat> and he says, the guy went away sad. Now, the disciples were listening to this. And it says that the disciples were troubled by what Jesus had said. Interesting. Sometimes you can sit in church and be troubled. You think, ooh. Because you know the Holy Spirit's trying to get to you. Or you know God's on your case. <coughs> you think, hmm. So Peter has the wisdom to say, Jesus, just don't. I know this sounds a little bit <coughs> um, selfish maybe, but what about us? Because remember we pulled our boat up on the beach and we left it behind. Some of us have left family. Some of us have left fields and farms and lands. And what, 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 what about us, Lord? Where, where does all this leave us? And Jesus says some words which are so profound. Jesus says to them, everybody who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now those words we have often referred to. We've gone back to on our modern day journeys and said, God, that's the promise I hold on to because I have had to leave some things behind. That wouldn't even be in the Bible if Peter hadn't asked his questions. Interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> See, he had this, ah, I'm going to engage with being around Jesus. Be observant. Ask your questions. Here's the third thing Peter was willing to do. He was willing to take a risk. Oh my. He was so determined to get the most out of Jesus, he took a risk. That's worth writing down as well. Take a risk. Sometimes take a risk. <clears throat> now, of course, the famous risk he took was what? Stepping out of the boat. If you read that story, it's hilarious. Because we, kind of, uh, we kind of have this thing in our, our, our mind of Jesus saying, come on, Peter, step out of the boat. But when you read the story, it was Peter's suggestion. When Jesus is walking on the water and it's the storms and the waves are moving, Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. What was he thinking? What a stupid thing to say. I'm sure there's something else he could have done to just test that it was Jesus, but tell me to come to you. And so Jesus says, come, because it is me. Can't change that, it is me. So you want to come? Come. So now he's committed. <coughs> Steps out of the boat. 
And as far as we know, he's the only other human being that's ever lived that has felt water go solid under his feet. So I think there's something commendable about that. He was willing to take a risk. Now we know that he took his eyes off Jesus and he, he began to sink and Jesus pulled him back into the boat and all that. But the point is he was willing to take a risk. When was the last time you took a risk for Jesus? I think when he pulled his stuff up on the shore and walked away from it, he took a risk. He took a risk about where his provision was going to come from, his, how his family circumstance would work out. It was the, it was the journey of faith, of risking all to follow Jesus. And he was willing to do it, wasn't he? I love that spirit. Here you've got someone who's observant, asking questions, willing to step out of the boat and take a risk. I want people like that on my team. I want people like that in my church. I want people like that in my business. People who understand what we're doing together and are willing to go with me in it. (coughs) Now, a a fourth thing Peter did, which is worth writing down, is he was willing to learn from his mistakes. See, you will all make mistakes. You'll all get stuff wrong. Life is about learning by doing. The, the, The point is you have to learn from your mistakes. Life in one level is all about mistake management, isn't it? (laughs) Because we get it wrong plenty of times, but that doesn't make you a failure. Stopping trying is what makes you a failure. Have a go, learn from it, try again. Keep moving forward. Peter learned. He'd learned, I must never take my eye off Jesus again. I've got to keep my eye on him in future. He learned the lesson. Maybe the biggest mistake he made was denying that he even knew Jesus. Remember just before the cross? In all the, all the sort of uh, <coughs> hustle and bustle that was going on around those events. He's pressured by sort of people who are against Jesus. Hey, aren't you one of those guys that followed Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 I don't know him. Three times <coughs> he denied knowing Jesus. And Jesus had warned him it had happened. And Jesus had said, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Nah, I won't do that, Lord. But of course, it does happen. On the third time he does it, the cock crows. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And all that. In that moment, Peter froze. It's like, duh. Jesus is right again. I'm the numpty again. In one of the accounts, it says that Jesus looked at Peter. Oh boy, that look. Now, I don't think it was a look that would kill. I think it was a look that was of compassion, of, come on, Pete, remember, you've got to trust me. <laughs> he had to learn from that. Every time the cock crowed after that, which is every flipping day, <laughs> he must have been reminded of his mistake. Until Jesus restores him. After the crucifixion, there's a barbecue that happens on a beach one morning. And Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples and says to Peter, Hey, Pete, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? He said, Yeah, you know I do, Lord. Hmm, okay. Do you really love me? Yeah, I really love you. Well, do you really, really love me? And by now he's getting offended. (laughs) But he says, yeah, you know I do, Lord. And Jesus says things which just heal the damage from the three denials. Three chances to say I love you after three denials. That's how good Jesus is. But imagine if Peter, imagine if Peter had been offended. If Peter had decided, oh, I've so let Jesus down now. I'm just going to go off. I'm not going to be part of the group anymore. No, he'd stayed part of the group. He still was with the crowd of disciples that were at the cross and at the tomb and were there at the resurrection. But that issue in him hadn't been resolved yet. Took a bit of time. But he stayed plugged in. He stayed engaged. We've got to stay engaged because God always brings us through. God will heal. He'll restore. Sometimes the time is what it needs for us to learn what God wants us to learn. I love that spirit in Peter. 
He was willing to engage with Jesus. He observed, he asked his questions, made mistakes, took some risks, learned from the mistakes. And I want to suggest to you, if you will treat the learning environments God has got you in, in the same way, you will learn and grow so much more in life. Treat your family, treat your business, treat your marriage as a learning environment. Have your eyes open, be observant. Ask questions. Try stuff. Take some risks. Learn from the mistakes. Grow together. You become fruitful, effective, fulfilled people in those environments. And especially in church. Especially in the environment of your personal growth in God. You see, I said earlier, this attitude that people, that Peter had, which was an attitude that says, I'm going to engage with Jesus, got him something we all want. Now, I actually think he got three things. And it's the third one that you really, really want. But I saw two steps on the way to it. The first thing that Peter got, because he was willing to engage with Jesus in this process, was he got a revelation. That's a word to write down. Peter got a revelation. See, the more you put yourself into a thing, the more you begin to understand what it's really all about. And the more he got close to Jesus, asked his questions, understood who Jesus was, the day came when there's a bit of a conversation going on with the disciples. In Matthew 16, you read it. And Jesus says, hey, what's the gossip? You know, what's the gossip? What's the word on the street about me? Who are are they all saying that I am? Oh, you wouldn't believe it, says one of them. One of them thinks that you're Elijah come back from the dead. Oh, I heard somebody else say he's probably Moses come back from the dead. And they're having this conversation about what the crowds think about Jesus. And Jesus just spins it round, looks Peter in the eye and says, and who do you say that I am? And out of his heart leapt words. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. What a confession. And Jesus went, yes. No human beings taught you that. My father in heaven has revealed that to you. Peter had a revelation. It's like the light bulb came on. Isn't it true that as we press after Jesus, we go through moments where it's as if Jesus looks at us and says, Who do you say that I am? And we get to the place of realizing, you're the Christ. Jesus, you are the answer. Actually, all the mess that is in this world, you're the answer. I see it now. I get it now. And we go deeper into our relationship with him because of the revelation we have. But you know, it was a two-way thing. Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was. But in that same moment, Jesus gave him a revelation about himself. Because Jesus' next words to him were, Yep, I'm Jesus, and you're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Suddenly, he got his job description for the rest of his life. Now that revelation of what his purpose in the plan of God was came out of his revelation of who Jesus was. Which he only got because he had that spirit of wanting to put himself in and engage with Jesus and ask and learn and observe. See, when you will put yourself in, you will get a revelation. Not just of how awesome Jesus is. But Jesus then says, yep, and you're Stephen. Yeah, Stephen, all you can be is the best you can be. And, and <coughs> I want you to use your life experience. Well, use your, your family life. Use your, your, all of the things that you'll learn as you go to serve me. And this is how you're going to do it. And I come to peace in being me. And I'm able to serve God through the person God's made me. It's exactly the same for you. When you get a revelation of who Jesus is, He flips it round and he says, yeah, and you're John. Yeah, and you're Betty. And you're Dave. And you're going to lead a great church for me in Newport. And you're Faye. Yeah. 
And you're going to raise some great kids and support this man of God and together you're going to do some stuff. Yeah, and you're Fred and you're Betty and you're... And God whispers back to you what he's calling you to do as you get a revelation of who he is. So Peter first gets a revelation. Now watch this. The second thing he gets is relationship. That's worth writing down. Relationship. You see, <coughs> relationship always comes out of revelation. Hang on a minute. Peter already had a relationship with Jesus. That's how he got the revelation, isn't it? Yeah. But once Jesus knew he had a revelation of who he was, Jesus drew him deeper into relationship. And you and I want deeper relationship with Jesus, don't we? Well, that comes out of a growing revelation of who he is and who you are and what you can do together. It's interesting when you look at the story of Peter's life. Up to this point, he's just one of the 12. One of the boys. But from this moment where Jesus says to him, and you're Peter, and he had his revelation of who Jesus was, Peter got drawn into the three. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Jesus worked in circles of relationship. He had a best mate called John, who's the guy who wrote the Gospels. <clears throat> and then he had a threesome, Peter, James, and John, who were almost like his inner circle. And then he had the 12. Then there's another group of 70-odd disciples, and then it ripples out. Eventually, you've got the crowd. So Jesus had circles of relationship like we have. But Peter moved from the 12 to the 3 after he had this revelation. I believe once you get a revelation of who Jesus is and who you are, God just sort of pulls you in a bit closer because he now knows it's safe to share some things with you. It's safe to expose you to some other experiences you're going to need for down the track. But he can't expose you to it until you've had this revelation. <clears throat> so suddenly, you have the disciples going through the experiences where Jesus, on a number of occasions, when they got somewhere, he says, Okay, um, Peter, James, John, you three with me, rest of you wait there. Well, that's not going to go down very well, is it? You can imagine the nine thinking, What's all, what's all that all about? Why can't I come? <clears throat> and the three thinking, ooh, we're special. Or maybe thinking, ooh, this is going to be difficult when we come back. You know, one of those occasions was when Jesus went onto the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember Jesus went up a mountain? And he took Peter, James, and John with him. Left the other nine at the bottom of the hill. Now, up on the mountain... Jesus metamorphosed. When you read it, it's like he changed. His, he, he was sort of, <coughs> his glory was manifest. And up pops Moses and up pops Elijah. And Peter, James and John are looking at this like, what is going on? This is incredible. Peter, of course, can't stop himself talking, so make some silly suggestions about, oh, let's, <coughs> let's build some shelters for you to live in. Uh, it, <coughs> Just a Peter-esque sort of statement. So all this goes on, which Peter describes later as, we got a glimpse of the majesty of heaven. And down they come from the hill. And of course the nine are going to say, hi guys, what happened up the hill then? How on earth did you describe that to the nine? How can we say this in a way which doesn't make us, it look like, you know, where the... When you get a revelation of who Jesus is, he will expose you to things. You'll see things. You'll experience things. He'll entrust you with things that are very difficult for you to talk about to other people. Amen. It doesn't mean you're more holy than them. It doesn't mean you're a better Christian than them. It doesn't make you superior to them. It just means that God can trust you. Wow. I want to be trusted I want to be trusted with the secret things of God. I want to be trusted with the ability to pray for the sick and then see them recover. To, to, for God to give me a word and know I will deliver it. 
for God to work in me and through me in ways that is precious. You know, we all want it. But we have to put the work in first. By having the attitude that engages with Jesus, asks the questions, observes, takes the risks, so we get that revelation of who he is. And then he just pulls us in a bit closer. <coughs> Only the three got to see Jesus in Gethsemane before the cross. Weep those great, you know, the, 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 the sweat like drops of blood. Only the three went to the raising the dead class with Jesus. On one occasion, Jesus goes to the house of Jairus, whose daughter has died. So they all get to the house, all 12 of them, and it's kind of, okay, Pete, James, John, you three with me, you lot, wait there. Look after the family. You three with me. So they get into the bedroom with Jesus, and they watch Jesus raise the child from the dead. Why is that just, that's just wrong. That's just not fair. It is, it's fair. Because Jesus sees their hearts. Jesus knows what's in the future for them. He knows what they need. And he exposes them to this amazing miracle. And the child rises from the dead and off they go. They got to see it. Wow. For, for reasons that only Jesus knew at that point in time. You know, if you want to be used of God in significant ways... I think you have to get your revelation of who he is. Get a revelation of who you are by pressing in. Then he draws you in. That relationship, deeper relationship, always comes after revelation, is a fact of life. Don't hear what I'm saying as <clears throat> a distinctly Christian thing. It's life. Imagine you work for a company that makes widgets. You say, what's a widget? A widget is an amazing thing. Everybody should have a widget. And you start working for the widget manufacturer. And you think, this is a flipping amazing little piece of kit. Everybody should have a widget. So you become quite evangelistic about the widget. You tell all your mates, hey, have you got a widget? I've got a widget. Let me show you your my widget. You know, a bit like we do with phones and things. It's like this amazing thing. Wow, it's really helpful. Enriches people's lives. So you become passionate about the widget. As the company grows and expands, the powers that be are looking for people to promote. They're looking for employees they trust. And as they look across the company, what do they see? They see you being passionate about the widget. You really believing in what the company's about and why they do what they do. So it's not going to be long before you are invited for a promotion. That they're entrusting you with more responsibility. In other words, they're drawing you into deeper relationship because you've got a revelation about the widget. It's just life. In your marriage, if you get a revelation of how awesome your partner is, of what you could do together, and you start to articulate that with each other and exploring it together, that pulls you closer together in relationship. Deeper relationship always comes after a revelatory moment, an awareness. And welcome to church. Church leaders are doing that all the time. We're an army of volunteers, aren't we? Any church is only as strong as its members, the people who committed to build together. And all the time we're looking for willing hands, hearts that believe what we believe. And as senior leaders, we look around. And we see some people get it. They like have a revelation of what this church exists for. What the Great Commission is all about. They understand what we're trying to do together here in Newport. And it's nothing to do with the colour of their skin, with their age, their experience, their background. It's to do with their revelation. It's to do with the fact that they've been engaging with us in the journey and they get it. And we build trust with people like that. They trust us as leaders. We trust them as volunteers. And before you know it, it's those kind of people that are leading teams, potentially coming on the church staff. And it's, well, they didn't go to Bible college. Well, they've not done this, that, and the other. They're not the professional client. No, but they see it. <clears throat> Revelation leads to deeper relationship. Principle of life. But, of course, what you're all waiting for 
is this elusive thing that you all want. As <laughs> you put yourself in, get the Peter spirit on you. And you observe, you ask your questions, you engage, you take your risks, you learn. Yeah, you get a revelation. You get a deeper relationship. But the third thing that Peter got that you and I all want is simply this. He reproduced Jesus. There is yet to be a Christian I've met who in a serious moment would not say to me, I just want to be more like Jesus. Would you not agree? Really, you just want to be more like Jesus. I don't mean you want a beard and a long skirt, depending on your picture of him. You, you just want to be like him in character, in attitude. You want to have his wisdom and his insight and his power. The Bible says the same power that raised him from the dead dwells in us. And you want that. You read the prayer of Paul where he says, oh, I just want to know him. And at one level, you do already know him. But you know you need to know him more and more deeply. Well, as I look at Peter's story, wow. He became like the environment he engaged with. Every example I've trotted out so far has been from the Gospels. But after Jesus disappears off the scene of time, keep reading. In Acts chapter 2, who's leading the charge? Peter. When Pentecost falls, shebang, who's going to explain this? Peter. He's the one saying, this is that. This is what the prophet spoke about. Acts chapter 3, who's on the way to the temple to pray? Peter and John. What do they see by the temple gate? Lame guy. So what do they do? Heal him. They just started doing what Jesus had done. They were the continuation of Jesus in their next season of life. You get to Acts chapter 4. And they're now having some opposition from the, 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 the authorities. Who is it defending the faith? It's Peter. It's Peter saying, no, we've got to obey God rather than man. And in the middle of chapter 4, there's this lovely verse. It says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized <clears throat> they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note. These men have been with Jesus. See, they thought they'd got rid of the problem in getting rid of Jesus. Got rid of Jesus, and now Jesus is popping up everywhere. There's Jesus called Peter, Jesus called John, Jesus called Barnabas, Jesus called Paul. There's <clears throat> and that's the idea. But off Jesus went, sends his spirit... And now the spirit of Christ dwells in us. So Jesus <coughs> was popping up everywhere. Led by this guy called Peter. Acts chapter 5. Peter's shadow was falling on people. And they were getting healed as his shadow fell on them. How flipping awesome is that? And he's like, I'll have a bit of that please. <clears throat> you keep reading on and it says that the crowds gathered and brought their sick from all the surrounding towns and all of them were healed. Just like it happened with Jesus. He has to deal with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. It goes on and on. And the more you read about Peter in that season, I just think to myself, this guy has reproduced the one that he gave his life to follow. <clears throat> they recognize Jesus in him, but it's Peter. He hasn't lost his personality. It's still Peter. And the idea is the same for us, that people look at you and they say, I recognize there's Jesus in you, <coughs> but you still look like Mary. You still look like Fred. You're still Betty. But it's, but it's Jesus in you that's awesome. When you get to chapter 9, Peter raises from the dead a lady called Dorcas. If you read the story of Dorcas's resurrection and compare it with what Jesus did to Jairus' daughter, he does exactly the same. Thank God he was in the Raising the Dead class. But he was only in the Raising the Dead class because he'd been pressing in and putting himself in and asking his questions. See, Jesus knew he needed that in a few years' time. And Jesus will, when he knows he can really trust you, He'll expose you to things. He'll show you things. He'll give you dreams and visions. He'll, and you don't know when he need it. It might be next week or it might be in 10 years' time. 
But God knows what he's doing. Your and my part is to put ourselves in as strongly as we can. Chapter 10, Peter's going aside to pray. Just like he'd seen his master go aside to pray and getting visions from heaven. and So it goes on. I hope you get my essential point. We need the Peter spirit. This church and its future rests on you catching the Peter spirit. It's what separates churches from becoming passive, nice social groups to being aggressive, soul-winning mission stations. It is the difference. The difference is in the heart of every believer that says, I'm not sat back waiting for the leaders to tell me what to do. No, I am going to put myself in. I'm going to engage. So, have my eyes open. What's going on? Ask my questions, even if sometimes I'm misunderstood. I'm going to step out of the boat and take a risk for Jesus sometimes. Even though it frightens me to death, I'm still going to do it sometimes. If I get it wrong, I'm going to learn because I'm surrounded by people who are going to help me learn the lessons from it. And I'm going to put myself in. And the more you do, you will get a deepening revelation of who Jesus is and what he put you on the planet for. And then he'll pull you into closer relationships still and trust you with things that can be beyond your wildest dreams. That he can do more than you can ask or imagine, as it says in Ephesians. And ultimately, people will start looking at you and saying, you know what? I recognize Jesus in you. What more commendation could we ever want? And they they (coughs) they may never use that language. Because some of them don't even know who Jesus is. Well, they'll look at you and they'll see something special. They'll see that you've got a servant heart. They'll see that you have compassion. All the things that you recognize are the attitudes of Jesus are what are going to characterize you as a man and woman of God. Down in South Wales, working with other ordinary people, building a great community of faith. Say, ah, we're not right special. Oh, yes, you are. Every church of God is special and unique and designed to reach its community. But its success depends on every single individual saying, I'm in. Are you in? You know, when I say are you in, it, it cuts at two levels, doesn't it? Most of you in here today are in in the sense that you've started following Jesus. There was a day when you did pull your boat up on the beach. You did fall to your knees. You gave your life to him. But are you still in with the same intensity, the same passion that characterized your early years? Are you still as committed to taking risks now you're a little bit older and a bit wiser? Are you still as willing to step out of the boat? Only you know what that statement means when I say are you in are you in with both feet are you fully in heart and soul are you pursuing Jesus with everything that's in you I pray you are for some of you in here when I say are you in I mean are you even in at the point where you started following Jesus maybe some of you in here have been on that journey Well, you've been watching Jesus from afar. You've been watching your Christian friends. Somebody's brought you to church. Somebody's mentioned God to you. You've got this lingering suspicion that maybe God is the answer or somehow he does need to work in your life in a way that you have not understood yet. Well, I'm here this morning to say to you, are you in? Because right now, there is an opportunity for you to do what Peter did in that boat And to fall to your knees and say, I'm not worthy, but you are Jesus. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to give my life to you. And if you're in here this morning and that's you, you're not fully in in the terms of knowing you're a Christian, knowing you're a Christ follower. Will you please follow him today? Will you please make that strong decision to say, I'm in. Just close our eyes and bow our heads a moment.
I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if that is you, you know that God is speaking to you. <clears throat> you know that you're that person. I'd love to pray for you right now. But to do that, I need to know where you are. So without any embarrassment, as heads are bowed, will you just slip your hand in the air just to say, that's me. Then you can drop it down. Thank you. I see your hand there. Also at the back there. Thank you. I see your hand there. Thanks, mate. I see your hand there. Thank you, sir. I see your hand there. God's good. It is the start of an amazing journey of doing life with Jesus. Anyone else this morning who just wants to say, I'm in. I don't understand it. No, none of us did when we started out. But we know. Thank you. I see your hand right at the back there. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask uh, for each person who has just indicated that they want to reach to you and do life with you from this point forward. I pray you would save them soundly. Though you look into their heart right now. And as they articulate words that say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Save them. Protect them. Help them to understand how to live the full life that is ours as Christians. In Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who raised your hand, somebody may have spotted you and come and offer you a Bible, offer to pray with you. If you would like to come and speak to one of us after, please just come down the front. There'll be people who can talk to you. Tell somebody who you came with. Say, hey, you know when he said about putting your hand up thing? I did that this morning. Just have the courage to tell someone. And allow us to help you on a journey. Because one thing's for sure. None of us ever make this journey on our own. God in his wisdom put us together. And we have to stay together and do something for him now. Amen? God bless you. 